The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Oh, such a pleasure. I am moving and grooving right now, and I have been for about the last five or six minutes, as has anybody who is currently listening to this on our live stream right now, because the live streamers, before we come on the air, are treated to our pre-show music, which for the last few weeks has been a terrific little titty called BTB Funk by Zach Sloan, that no matter how many times I hear this piece, I can't help but have my shoulders wiggle a little. And I know I'm not alone. Producer Lauren, I see her shoulders wiggling too. Our guest this week, Amani Roberts, I saw a little bit of a shoulder wiggle from him. It's a fantastic piece of music. So let's go ahead and have a chat with the phenomenal human being that put that together our guest host this week zach sloan how's it going zach phenomenal human being and mediocre guitar player how's it going ryan (laughs) what is this like i find this common ailment that comes across most of the break the business co-hosts this imposter syndrome like ryan compliments you and then you immediately have to deflect it like swat it away like your dikembe mutombo playing for the hawks in the 90s I mean, what is this with with you all? Y'all are fantastic. I surround myself with awesome people. Like, like, admit your awesomeness. I will have none of this. Dikembe Mutombo is best known as a Denver Nugget, and to to sully his name by tying him only to the Hawks is unacceptable. <laughs> all right, the, my whole state of Colorado here is upset. Oh, I don't. I don't need Colorado mad at me. Okay, they are lovely people. No, we're crazy. We are absolutely crazy. But. <laughs> That's not what we're here to talk about, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. I am thrilled to be here. Thrilled to have you here. In such a good mood, I should say, Zach. I am. I, I have an ear-to-ear grin on my face, not just because of your piece of music, but I'm happy because congratulations are in order for an array of our Break the Business guests. Uh, as we record this, the day before, the Grammy announced their 2023 Grammy Award nominees, And not one, but two Break the Business guests got Grammy nominations for the February telecast. And just two of my favorite guests that we have, and I know you love these guests as well. First of all, let's start at the very, very top because I read top to bottom when I go through this list. Right, Right away, in the four main categories, Break the Business guest Ricky Reed got a nomination for Record of the Year and for Album of the Year for his work on About Damn Time by Lizzo and the Lizzo Album Special. Amazing producer Ricky Reed. He was so great on this show. We had such an awesome time with him. So could not be happier that he took home a couple Grammy nominations. He can add a maybe add a couple more of those gramophones to his already crowded gramophone mantle. But we also have a first-timer to the Grammy experience. 
Very excited for this. I know you are as well because you're a big fan of this one. Congratulations are in order to Cheryl B. Englehart. Break the business, friend of the show, Cheryl B. Englehart, getting her first Grammy nomination for her New Age Ambient slash Chant album, The Passenger. Fantastic work. You can see I, I actually took a screenshot of the Grammy Awards page where her nomination is announced and used my first class Photoshop skills to put a couple smiley faces right next to it because I was so happy to see her get nominated. I know you love Cheryl B. Engelhart. Zach, how happy must you be for her right now? Oh, I'm thrilled. I've known Cheryl for years. Um, I met her. Actually, I met her through your show back when I was fan, not co-host. And anytime you had a guest on that I was interested in, I would just reach out to them on Twitter and uh, her and I became friends, and I actually was just texting with her before because I hadn't found out about this until the pre-show. Um, the Passenger's a cool record. I actually talked about it um, a few months back on the show. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, highly recommend you check it out. Check out her website for details on how she made it because it's ridiculous. <laughs> like She's like, what if I took a cross-country train and made an album? And then that yeah. album gets nominated for a Grammy. Like That's pretty freaking dope. So I'm thrilled for Cheryl. Um, marvelous musician and just super sweet, kind human being. It's a really, really terrific album. I, I was actually just listening to it again for like the thousandth time right before the show, just to kind of remind me of how much I love this. I would say you and Zach, or me and you and me, Zach, we would be the two biggest fans of this Cheryl B. Engelhardt album, The Passenger, except I know somebody who's an even bigger fan of this album, my son, Nathan. A word? <laughs> <laughs> Word. Nothing puts this kid to sleep more soundly than this album, which is the highest praise I have for an album yeah. right now. As a new dad, the only metric by which I judge the quality of an album is not the songwriting, not the singing, not the instrumentalists, not the production, is can you put my kid to sleep a little faster? And... The Passenger by Cheryl B. Engelhart is the Beatles' white album of getting Nathan to sleep. And for that, this dad is so grateful. That's fantastic. I'm going to try that with my kid. I, I you love should. It. That's, that's so cool. Um, it's, it's just really, it's nice to see. Like, there's this, like, weird, like, point of pride. I had nothing to do with this album. But, like, as an indie creator, I just feel, it just makes me happy to see, like, one of our own doing it. And so, Cheryl, congratulations, yo. Yeah. It's a it's so well deserved. She's such a gifted songwriter. And obviously because you know she's been on our show a bunch of times, like why can't we take it like a smidge of credit for this? Absolutely. I'm gonna I, I take no credit, Cheryl. That was those Ryan's words, not mine. Yeah, I, I stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh no, she's she's so so good at what she does. And I and I couldn't yeah. be happier for her. Um and it's kind of a wild time in the industry right now. Like before we were all sort of just focused on the Grammy nominations, I think the the story that was carrying the music news cycle for the last couple days was Taylor Swift announcing the pre-sales for her Eras tour that's coming out mm -hmm. and just how it broke the internet. Have you heard the stories of this? Like people getting stuck in line, like Ticketmaster couldn't handle the load. People are reselling these tickets for like $27,000. Yeah. It's madness. Dude. Like, and I, you know what? Well, let's just continue our streak of you and I talking about Taylor Swift. Um, it's it's insane. I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about a lot of things that are going on around it, none of which I think is really Taylor Swift's fault. Um, but it's absolutely insane. But I'm also, it's kind of cool to see somebody who writes their own songs doing this. So good on her, I suppose. 
it's amazing. I mean, an, an artist like hers, like we, obviously the music industry has this long and illustrious history of when certain artists announce they're going on tour, there's going to be a lot of demand for it. But I can't remember the last time we've seen something like that. Oh, our guest, uh, uh, Amani saying, I-, I love Taylor Swift. You've yep. come to the right place, Amani. I'm glad you're coming on the show. We got nothing for love, nothing but love uh, for Tay-Tay around here. But I mean, I've I've never seen something quite like this. I've seen a lot of madness around a tour announcement. I've never right. seen the announcement of a pre-sale and just how the world stopped. Like everybody on Twitter talking about how I didn't go to work today because I had to sit and in front of my computer while I could get a ticket for one of these uh, Taylor Swift shows. And just everybody just being obsessed with this. And then like Ticketmaster and the dynamic pricing and it was all a big mess. And and this is for a stadium tour, right? You would think she's playing massive stadiums, 70, 80,000 seats. There should be enough. And she just announced like 26 extra dates. There should be enough seats for everybody to see Taylor. And it's there's wild. not. <laughs> it's pretty nuts. Um, but I, I think about that story and I see how it is in stark contrast in a true haves and haves not fashion to what the experience is for independent musicians today on the touring front. Whereas Taylor Swift is going to make a sacrilegious amount of money on this tour, we're not seeing a similar experience for indie creators. There was a powerful article that came out this week in Billboard that's talking about the experience of indie musicians trying to get out of the road these days. And what the article talks about, Zach, is there's kind of three confluence of events happening at the same time post-COVID as artists are trying to get back out on the road. One, all the artists are trying to get back out on the road at the same time, right? Like, we've all been cooped up for two years. Artists want to get back touring. They want to get back into the stadiums. They want to connect with their fans again. They want to make the money that you make from going out on tour again. So you have excess supply of artists. Couple that with Supply chain shortages, things like tour bus, equipment, gas, all cost a lot more than they did before the pandemic. Couple that with, even though more artists are getting out on the road, fewer fans are coming to the shows because there's still a lot of COVID anxiety out there. Fewer people are coming out to shows post-COVID or they are maybe instead of going to five shows a year, they kind of pool their money and say, I'm just going to go to see Taylor Swift at some stadium somewhere, and that's going to yeah. be my one show for the year, trying to balance out COVID risk versus reward. You put all of those things together, it has never been in the modern era more difficult for an indie artist to go on tour and turn a profit. Uh, tour net profits are down about 10 to 15% for indie creators. From Tom Windish of the Wasserman Agency, he said, quote, a lot of bands are going out on tour thinking... They're going to make money, and they came home and lost money. Uh, uh, Windish adds that many artists uh, made their take-home pay on the last 20% of revenue, as usually is the case, and now that 20% has disappeared. And this is the reality that indie creators are facing. All of the macroeconomic factors post-COVID are conspiring against indie creators. And Taylor Swift's fine. She's, you know, mm-hmm. she's big enough that she can weather this. But it's creating a reality where it's no longer cost-effective for many indie creators to go on tour. And for somebody like you, Zach, who I know loves playing live, this has got to be sobering to hear. It's, I mean, it's rough. I mean, not too long. My band, we don't do a lot of road dates. We all have jobs, and so we play 
Colorado. But uh, two months ago, we made it. We made a run down to Texas, and I remember thinking on the way back, looking at my receipts, going, "Oh, it, at first we thought we should add dates. Like, oh, if we're gonna make this run, we should add dates to make money." And very quickly turned out that no, adding dates was probably not a good idea, and that there was a sense of it's a good thing we all have day jobs because we were taking a loss <laughs> off uh, immediately, and so. Yeah, we're it's, losing money on each show, but let's add more dates. We'll make it up yeah. on volume. <laughs> and it's just like, it's a good, I mean, I, I love playing with my band, and I love playing in Texas. I hadn't played there in so long. That's a whole other story. I loved it, but man, the, the pinch hurts. And I was actually just listening to an interview with a uh, professional roadie and guitar tech, and he was saying the same thing. He's like, I'm losing work because the bands who hired me are now canceling their tours. And I, you know there aren't other people looking to go on tour because specifically the tour buses are too expensive and people are just like, we would rather just stay at home. So it sucks. Especially if you're like me and you like to play live it sucks. We don't think about the ripple effects that this has, not just for the artists, but all of the industries that have grown and exist to support a steady, vibrant touring community among independent mid tier musicians merchandisers, uh, small venues, you know, transportation companies, lodging, all of these things suffer when musicians can't get out on tour and, you know, it's creating a tough situation. And it's one that to her credit, the superstar artist Lord actually had some great insight on echoing a lot of the sentiment that you're seeing, uh, people talking about here. This is a, she wrote a newsletter to her fans and wrote the following quote, Basically, for artists, promoters, and crews, things are at an almost unprecedented level of difficulty. It's a storm of factors, like we talked about, right? Mm -hmm. Let's start with three years' worth of shows happening in one. Add global economic downturn, and then add the totally understandable wariness for concertgoers around health risks. On the logistical side, there's things like immense crew shortages, extremely overbooked trucks and tour buses and venues, inflated flight and accommodation costs, ongoing general COVID costs, and truly mind-boggling freight costs. Mm -hmm. To freight a stage set across the world can cost up to three times the pre-pandemic price right now. I don't know blank about money, <laughs> but I know enough to understand that no industry has a profit margin that high. Ticket prices would have to increase to start accommodating even a little of this, but absolutely no one wants to char charge their harried and extremely compassionate and flexible audience any more money. Beep. Oh, I was, I was trying to beep for you. <laughs> yeah, boy, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to keep this safe for radio and Lord's not helping. <laughs> Nearly every tour has been besieged with cancellations and postponements and promises and letdowns. And audiences have shown such understanding and such faith that between that and the post-COVID wariness about getting out there at all, scaring people away by charging true, the true cost ain't an option. All we want to do is play for you. And I'll add a little bit more here because this is pretty powerful stuff by her. Naturally, you know, she's an incredibly gifted songwriter, so she's going to put this a lot more eloquently than I do. She goes on to say, profits being down across the board is fine for an artist like me. I'm lucky. But for pretty much every artist selling less tickets than I am, touring has become a demented struggle to break even or face debt. For some, touring is completely out of the question. Even if they were to sell the whole thing out, the math doesn't make sense. Understandably, all of this takes a toll on crews, on promoters, and on artists. You'll notice a ton of artists canceling shows citing mental health concerns in the past year. And I really think the stress of this stuff is a factor. 
We're a collection of the world's most sensitive flowers who also spent the last two years inside. And maybe the task of creating a space where people's pain and grief and jubilation can be held night after night with a razor-thin profit margin and dozens of people to pay is feeling like a tiny bit much. I didn't even consider that prospect, right? That you're hearing a lot of uh, lately of artists canceling tours, canceling dates, citing mental health issues. And I wonder how much of that is just stemming from mental health issues being a consequence of how much harder it is to put a tour together when your costs are getting squeezed. You know, every time, especially indie artists, whenever you're doing a show, right, you're 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 fighting Netflix, right? Like how, what do you do to get people to be willing to pay money to leave their house, to get out of their comfort zone and go see a show, right? And that was the struggle pre-pandemic. After pandemic, you have people who are more used to staying at home. Some people want to get out. Some people are more concerned. Um, but the struggle to get them out is higher now, in my opinion, than it was then. And then what Lord is so eloquently pointing out is the cost of doing that has gone up, which is which counterbalances people who may want to go may not want to spend the money. It is a incredibly difficult time. I think it might be worth chatting with our guest in a little bit, saying, "Hey, I noticed you've been doing some pretty successful stuff on Twitch. Can you tell us a little bit about that?" Yeah. Because I think touring from your house, air quotes, is going to have to be an option for a lot of artists. Um, I just don't really know how to do it, so I'm glad we have our guest this week. I and I do want us to talk about. What are the options here, right? If your costs are getting squeezed, what's how can you approach touring differently? Or what can be a potential substitute for touring if you want to try live streaming? I want to talk about some of those. But first, I feel like we'd be doing this topic an injustice, Zach, if we didn't bring in producer Lauren on this. Because she works in live performances. She takes people on the road. And I feel like she's going to have some firsthand insight on you know what the realities are and what she's currently facing right now and naturally i didn't tell her this was going to happen and i don't know if she's prepped and uh is is happy with being on camera but lauren are you around there we go i'm here but i figured we were intentionally keeping me off because this was going to cause a big rant for oh, me oh no i want so your <laughs> i want your tears we love rants yeah. oh my gosh it's terrible we as artists were just told you're not essential we don't need you stay home and then followed up a lyle later with actually it's easier without you around it's better if you stay home and we'll do our own thing and that beats down on artists for a long time then they finally get up the courage to put themselves out in front of these people that just finished saying we don't need you and they a aren't showing up as much because they too have been trained not to go out um and their fears for their health and their discomfort with other people and their dislike of the outside world because it became a less pleasant place to be um, and financials and all of these other things. But the audience that comes out has also lost um, a piece of interaction that we used to have. You've got people that have been trained to sit in a room by themselves, so they kind of nod and smile but they're not audibly laughing or applauding and giving that same kind of interaction because they just spent years watching a flat screen and not having the accountability to the performer. The performer doesn't know when you get up and walk out of them when you're on a screen. Um, there, there has to be that give and take. And it's maddening. I have literally today, I had um, a show rescheduled that was 
scheduled for Pittsburgh. And it's happening left and right. We're still doing shows that have been rescheduled that were scheduled for 2020. And so to try to find new bookings when, like Lord said, like they're still filling in slots from people that they've been pushing back for years. And then those get moved because they didn't sell well enough. And then you're trying to compete with new material and they're trying to make up for it. And they're not helping. I love you venues, but they're not splitting this loss with the artists. They're saying, well, you know, we've got more costs. So if you want a venue, it's going to cost you. And we're going to need you to take a cut on your percentage because it's really been rough on us. And I'm seeing venue after venue after venue asking for the artists to give more. And uh, it's a really, really rough world out there right now. And it's an underappreciated world, which is hard. It's a touring landscape where it sounds like a lot of the players involved are asking the most vulnerable person in the transaction, the most financially vulnerable person in the transaction, the artists, to bear the cost of these uh, unfortunate circumstances, right? Like oh, yeah. the, pe the people who have the least amount of money, the people that uh, have to pay their rent, the people that have to pay their band, the people that maybe have to give 15% of whatever they can make off the top as gross to their manager. You're asking that person to take a haircut on their live show. That's off of what brutal. you've already agreed to and signed. Yeah. So I've got an agreement from 2020 that this is what we're offering you. And then they call you and say, uh, so we're going to reschedule you. But uh, will you take, you know, 25% off of that? Because we've got extra things to bear. And I'm like, we haven't done this show. And we've been holding space for you for two years. And now you want us to also take more of a loss? It's, um, and you want the jobs. You want to get back out there. And so, and they know that, <laughs> you know. I'm interested in what both of you guys think of what the article proposes as, for lack of a better word, solutions for artists to weather this. Because we wouldn't call them, you know, solutions, right? Because that suggests that this is an easy fix, which is not. <laughs> you know, more of like, how can we mitigate this to some extent? And the article talks about that artists should consider scaling back their shows, smaller group, acoustic shows. Don't take the whole band on tours, take a smaller group on tour. Play smaller venues, more intimate concerts instead of bigger things. Share the cost with another artist. Maybe tour with another artist or group of artists and share those costs together. Mix in house concerts. We've talked a lot on this show in the past about how house concerts for, for a certain tier of musician that doesn't need a big infrastructure, it's a great way to... Uh, be able to play with you know very little infrastructure. You don't have to pay to book the venue. The audience is already built in. Sometimes you don't even need to charge cover at the house concert. You just pass a, a tip jar around, and most fans put enough in it to cover your expenses that night. And if you really trust the person running that house concert, they can also give you lodging that night. So it's a great way to mitigate costs, and we've had a lot of artists who've had success with house concert tours. And we're also seeing a lot of artists keep their co their labor costs down by remotizing, if you will, outsourcing some of their things. So like you're seeing a lot more remote lighting workers where they realize the person who does the lighting doesn't have to be physically there. They can do it from their home and we can uh, have pay a little bit less for it. And so we're seeing more of that. Uh, uh, Zach, I'll, I'll start with you on that. What do you think of some of these? Uh, so let's, I'm going to start with the one that stuck out to me the most, sharing tours with art with other artists. We already do that. We d we have been doing that. <laughs> like that's 
that was how you had to make ends meet before. <laughs> so that one, I that appreciate. was the pre-COVID solution. <laughs> I, I, I just that's nothing new. Um, the remote, the remote work is interesting to me. I, I don't know enough about that to comment on it. But that was the thing that jumped out at me. I was like, we, we already do most of the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, what do you oh. think? Well, I, like you're saying, they talk about cost sharing by sharing with an artist but the venue rentals are so little of it if you've got four more people that need transportation costs and housing costs and food costs like you can share it all you want the number of people still going to be the number of people that have to travel to those things uh we've talked in the past about tagging on stuff to tour dates as well where when we did the fringe in edinburgh there's a lot of companies we know that did more than one show so they were doing a kid's show in the afternoon and an adult show at night uh, to try to take that time period and do stuff. I know people that do workshops. Wherever you are, you tag on to a local school, or a local community group, and have them offset the cost by mentoring the next generation, doing a workshop on how to play guitar, on whatever, so that you can look for things in the local communities that can help balance and offset costs that aren't playing in the in the venue and that's sad because in theory that's why they bring you in but we're all trying to find ways to keep it going i'll say the hard road trio a fantastic uh, bluegrass americana band uh, from new mexico my home homeland they do workshops songwriting camps like they will set camps up around when they're where they're touring so that Mm -hmm. they have like a central base and then they sort of work around that not all artists are lucky enough or even enjoy doing that um so I I agree with your sentiment there, Lauren. I think it's a good idea. But the fact of the matter is, is that for some people, that just may not be viable. And that's what it's all about, though, is 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 trying to think outside the box, which uh, we've already been doing, like you said, forever. Um, but it's just trying to maximize your time and your skill so that your entire income isn't dependent on the two hours you're on stage and the hours for prepping it um right it's it's a it's a rough world i'm trust me travel days and load-in days are are not short days oh um <laughs> so yeah, i'm not, not going it's not like, like these people are just sitting around hours. in the hotel room all day <laughs> I oh can't wait till the show's tonight <laughs> no but like you've got load-in days and you've got if you've got a, a week run or a weekend run or something you've got a really rough day when you get there then you've got a few days where you've got your day times and finding something whether it's you know a TikTok or a twitch thing during the day to network to people and then performing at night but you almost have to make your job more than just the performance part which is sad <laughs> when I say, I say what I'm about to say here and I immediately want to hide under my desk by saying it because the thought is so depressing but do we need to prepare for the possibility that this current state of affairs is going to be at least semi-permanent in the sense that unless you're Taylor Swift, unless you're Lord, we are entering a world where going forward, touring the, the enterprise of going around the country and playing at different venues is just going to be closed off for mid tier and below artists because you just will never be able to make the numbers work anymore. And artists need to find 
need to adjust to that, find other ways to supplement their income, to put more into live streaming, to put more into sync licensing, uh, put more into giving lessons or just trying to make more money off the recording side as opposed to the performing side. Am I being, am I being too despondent there? Is there, is there a sign that things could change going forward? Better? I don't know, but I don't see it disappearing uh, for sure. Um, live entertainment and you know my world live theater live music has literally been used as a communication tool for thousands of years this is not something that goes away um being in a room with people and feeling that energy isn't something you can get rid of uh accountability isn't those venues still exist it's hard to get the slots in them you have to network you have to do things that may not be enjoyable and everybody might not get to and it definitely doesn't work for everybody but there are a lot of things that don't transfer to the screen and there are people that don't sit in front of screens and it's a matter of finding your audience there's enough people out there and i think it's going to take a while to settle into what that means going forward it may be completely different venues because the existing venues treat their artists badly and artists are going to stop going there and somebody's going to open a new venue and I think the live entertainment industry isn't going to die. I am confident on that. Uh, but it's definitely a, a weird transition time, transitional time. And what I'm hearing from Lauren here, Ryan, is uh, it's time for you to open up your own venue. And it's time for you to start booking indie bands. All right. Is, thanks, guys. It's been a great that, podcast. Ryan has announced he is opening. That's my happy place. Forget, forget about Ryan doing that. What you've described has only been Lauren's dream forever. If I didn't live in Miami, this would already be happening. Like when I was in Podunk, Nowhere, Illinois, I was like, I got a venue. I was in New York City running a venue, but Miami is rough. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if anything, Miami was just ahead of the curb in being very inhospitable to artists on tour unless you're Taylor Swift. Yeah. Long before a pandemic, right? That's right. We didn't need we didn't need a pandemic to be crappy to indie artists on tour in Miami. We invented that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, we are not hospitable. To, we're we're uh, really big artists. on. Uh, it costs so much less to bring in a DJ. And no offense to DJs, I love them, but like, wow! Oh God. Oh. Of all the guests to make that comment with, <laughs> no. I, I'm just saying the number of times they say it, it blows my mind. Well, we could have a five-piece band or this one guy. He Zach, plays all the styles. I mean. Zach just ran away. I uh, can't believe. It's one of those uh, things that hurts when you hear it, but you know you've all heard it. Uh, I was hiding under my desk. Uh, I, under uh, your, 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 your point is well understood. Wah, 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 um, wah. Yeah. So. All right, well, our guest coming up after the break, <laughs> DJ and professor and entrepreneur Amani Roberts is joining us. He's going to be awesome. I'm so excited to chat with him. Don't go anywhere. Him. He's amazing. Keep checking out Break the Business. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. 
My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Break the Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Corelli here, joined with co-host Zach Sloan, one of my favorite humans in the whole wide world. And we are happy to be hanging out with all of our favorite humans, whether you're checking us out on podcast platforms, on streaming services like Twitch or YouTube Live, or if you are part of the amazing community over at SiriusXM 145, who are checking us out over there, wherever you're checking us out, we're happy, happy to have you. Quick programming note, if you check out our show next week, a friend of the podcast, Bill Bolden, is going to be stopping by to talk about their We're Doomed, We're Dancing project. Remember, a few weeks ago on the show, Bill said that Bill's going to be putting out a Kickstarter album of 60-second songs where people were going to be able to crowdfund the ability to basically plan out what one of the songs is going to be and to be a curator of it. Break the business. We purchased one of the songs. And so Bill is going to be joining us next week to uh, take feedback from all of you about what we want our 60 second song on Bill's album to be about. Uh, any any suggestions, Zach? Is there a genre that you're a particular fan of that you want to see on this album? I, I you know, I think polka is underrepresented for underrepresented for Break the Business. So I think a polka punk rock, I, I think that'll get you in a minute. No problem. Oh. Got another polka punk rock track on this album. Boring. Um, Well, he's actually ready for the challenge, to be fair, because Bill has said that they're getting a lot of different topics, a lot of weird genres. One person wanted opera. Bill's never done opera before. Bill is ready to take it on. So I'm sure Bill can handle whatever pop punk polka you throw at them. All right, let's go ahead and bring out our guest this week. He is a popular DJ, author, live streamer, and entrepreneur who is a professor of entertainment money management at Cal State Fullerton. He is also the author of the book, DJ's Mean Business, One Night Behind the Turntables Can Spin Your Company's Success. You can find out more about his work by visiting AmaniExperience.com. We are thrilled to be welcoming Amani Roberts on to break the business. Hello, Amani. Greetings, greetings. How are we doing? Doing so, so well. Happy to be chatting with you, my friend. Um... Wanted to get your perspective starting things off on the topics that we were bringing up in the previous segment. Obviously, you have to have firsthand understanding of how tough it is out there for indie creators going out on tour post-COVID. 
And I know that you are a very successful live streamer. You've built an amazing following on there for your DJ work and just talking about the industry on your uh, on your Amani Experience Twitch channel. What's your perspective on the on where things are in touring right now? Is this something where artists can tough it out because it's going to get better? Or should they really start looking at alternatives like live streaming? Um, you all brought some great points, and I agree with pretty much all of them. I do think artists should as they have always done, just diversify. Um, I think that the pandemic showed us that live streaming is a legitimate way to earn revenue, specifically on platforms like Twitch, uh, YouTube. Those are the two favorites. I I think that touring, like you said, is changing. It probably, especially for independent artists, won't go back to the way it was before. Sometimes it's a necessity. I'm so happy that you mentioned uh, house tours because we cover that in my class and people don't really know about that and the effectiveness of that. I think um, setting up Patreons where you can get people to subscribe to you and get them exclusive um, access, whether it be a monthly Zoom call, merch. I think merch is really big too. I just think that it, it's time, like we have to diversify in terms of when you're an artist because touring, it's tough. Like people don't want to come out as much before. They don't really spend as much. They'd rather stay at home potentially. Um, so I agree. I just think that as artists, we have to figure out ways to diversify. I do like the fact that you all mentioned collaborating with other people too, that that can help. Um, but it is, it's tough out there. You mentioned mental health and even popular artists are talking about that. Um, it's, it's a lot going on. It's very challenging. Now we're entering the wintertime season, which is a little bit slower for touring because, you know, predominantly touring is summertime, spring over here in North America. Um, that's my first thought. I mean, y'all brought up some great points and we talk about this in class with students, you know, that touring previously was probably the, where artists would make the most money. Um, but now writing songs, Patreon, live streaming, like they have to kind of dip their hands in many different pots to really even you know, support themselves. It's crazy. Yeah. Zach was bringing up some pretty important points in the first segment about live streaming and how he said that that's something he's, thinking about doing but getting started seems like such a challenge from and it's something i've heard from other artists where i've gotten the impression that when it comes to live streaming the hardest step is step one yeah. for the artists who come to you and say i hear what you're saying i think that live streaming has to be an arrow in my quiver in terms of moving my career forward but i can't even begin to know how to get started i mean equipment streaming yeah. services do i go on twitch do i go on youtube do i go on something else it can seem very overwhelming what do you tell artists step one is how do they begin this journey step one is let's look at the equipment you have in your home especially for artists you probably have an iphone you probably have an extra camera old camera that can be used to streaming you have tons of microphones you might have a computer definitely have a computer um let's take inventory of the equipment you have and get started. Don't go out and buy a lot of equipment. Um, really do the research on where you want to set up shop. I, I'm a fan of like Twitch and YouTube together. It can work tremendously um, and just get started. And then you start adding on different pieces of equipment here and there. Um, you might add on like a stream deck, one of my favorite devices that can help you kind of with scenes. You you start to understand graphics. Like it's, it's you know, you can work with Canva, the site like Canva to get you some graphics that are going on, nice overlays. You start streaming, people will find you. Um, as we know, you know, inform your mailing list. Say, I'm going live on Twitch. Join me at this time. It'd be great if you're in there so you can work your way up to affiliate status. Once you get affiliate status, then people can subscribe to you. You can They can give you bits, which is virtual tipping. 
and then go from there. Also, spend some of your time on other music streams. Get to know other musicians on Twitch and other streaming platforms so they can, they call it on Twitch, like rating you. They can send their party to you when they're finished. You can be in there. I think I've seen some musicians create a significant income through a lot of work, both DJs, singers, guitar players, piano players, through just growing their community, sticking with it, being consistent, setting up a schedule. Like artists, if you you primarily are touring on the weekends, maybe there's two days during the week where you can stream online for a couple hours. You build that, you can practice, you can talk to people, find, you'll meet people all over the world that you never would have met before. But the key is just let's take inventory of what you have and let's start from there and just and just go for it. See, now, Zach, based on what Amani is saying, I feel like you're already most of the way there if you wanted to get started <laughs> in live streaming. Am I right, Amani? He's got a nice yeah. setup yeah. there behind him. He's got a cool camera. Look at that awesome space he's got there. He's got yeah. the cool instruments. Like, you're like 90% of the way there, my man. <laughs> what, I, what I love about what Amani's saying here is that take take stock of what you already have because I've... I've helped people set up their home studios before, and that's my advice for starting a recording studio. What do you already have? Can we use right. it? And add on piece by piece. You you spoke to my heart there, man. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> it's true, though. Like, you could live stream right now. You got the camera, the microphone, the equipment. You could go. You, you probably already have a Twitch account, start streaming. And within, I think it's seven streams you have to do, you know, you could start to get uh, affiliate and go from there. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to start. But once you get started, then you have to be consistent. And that's where some people get upset. Then you start looking at numbers, like you try to get partner status, which really is just more emotes and status and you know cachet on Twitch. But it's interesting, you know, it's it's legit. It's it's just something we have to mix in with our normal routine. Yeah. Can I ask you a question about when you're so you've taken that step? And yeah. one thing that that as me as a live performer, my thing is that give and take with the audience. I see people like Mary Amber who do it really well where they're constantly engaging with their chat. How do you get that back and forth with your fans while you're streaming? You know, you might play certain songs that they know is your favorite. Or you'll tell stories. I'm a big Mariah Carey fan, so I have a story for many, many of her songs. So you kind of tell stories like that. People will use uh, emotes, which is like the um, emoticons on Twitch where they're personalized. Like I have one as me, a professor, a Mariah Carey one, a uh, Keith Sweat one. You have all different emotes you could use. So they use that to communicate, call and response. Um, you know, uh, on my Sunday night streams, I have requests, so people request music, and I, I'll play it and mix it in with the whole DJ set, um, and just kind of talk to people, like, if I know, okay, you know, Ryan, you're there in Miami, and I, I know that, you know, maybe there's a hurricane coming, how are things in Mar Miami, what's going on, so really what helps me is if you understand where people are from, whether they're East Coast, I'm based in LA, whether they're West Coast, whether they're in the UK, you can say, what's going on, how are things where you're living, and that's just kind of how you build it. You remember people because people will come back. If you remember who they are and wh where they're from, remember some of their favorite artists, their favorite songs, they'll come back. And it just, it just builds. It kind of continues to duplicate and build on one on top of the other. I love that perspective. That's, that's terrific. I want to talk a little bit now about what I think is probably, at least to me, the most interesting perspective that you have about your work in music. A big part of your work Amani has been talking about the connection points that you've found between what you do as a DJ, where you're known as DJ Amro, and your work in business. And you've spoken a lot about in the past about how doing a DJ set is a lot like growing a business. And for an outside observer who's just gotten to know you, I don't immediately see the connection point there, but I'm, you know, I, I'm going to trust you on this. Can you tell us yeah. how these two things relate? 
Sure. Let's take we are at a club. It's 10 p.m. We're going to DJ there for four hours. We're starting off as 10 p.m. Um, we're just trying to fill out the room, keep people there. So you're kind of building rapport with the guests that are there. Same thing in business. You're, you're just starting off. You're trying to find your ideal client. What's your avatar? Who, who's going to be your main customers? Um, then we proceed through the night. I'll skip a few time periods because I go every 15 minutes. You get to like 11 o'clock. As a DJ, they're all and a musician. Really, something always goes wrong. Whether it's a bad speaker, dusty needles, computer crashes, like there's always something goes wrong. Whether you're live streaming or in person, what do you do to keep things going? But the music can never stop. In business, maybe you thought that one product was going to sell more than the other product, but it's not happening. How do you shift and say, okay, we're going to focus more on this service or this product and keep going? That's troubleshoot. We get to midnight. Midnight's like prime time. You want to keep the dance floor packed, song after song. You want to have them singing along, but then also cycling to the bar so the bartenders get some love. So it's just like, it's an art to it. Same thing in business. Like you want to grow sales month after month, year over year, you keep going. Uh, we'll go to like 1.30 at night. I love playing slow jams. That's one of my you know favorite things to do. But really, it's just playing into nostalgia. You'll notice that businesses use nostalgia to recreate them. My favorites are like Stan Smith with Adidas. Um, you'll have Nintendo does a great job with nostalgia. Um, and then Old Spice. Old Spice, a great brand that works heavily with, with nostalgia. Um, then afterwards, it's over. You know, got to get feedback. So for me, how I got feedback when I was in the club, I, would, I used to drive for Uber. So I'd leave the club, turn on my little Uber meter, pick up people who were in the club and be like, Hey, how would you think of the DJ today? What do you think of the music? And they give you feedback and you kind of take them on a ride home, 30, 35 minutes left. Um, but that's feedback. And we always need feedback in business so we can understand what's going well and what do we need to improve on. And so that just takes you through some time slides. There's other things we do, but that gives you an idea of just how closely related a DJ set is to growing and having a business. <laughs> I dig that. I wonder how many times have you had somebody in your Uber who didn't realize that you were the DJ that night? And maybe gave you some feedback that they wouldn't have given you had they known who they were talking to? It, it's happened a, a few times. Most of the time, the feedback, I'd say 85, 90% of the time, the feedback was very positive. There are a couple good. people said, oh, I didn't like because the DJ did this. I said, oh, well, by the way, I was a DJ, so thank you. Give me a couple <laughs> weeks, come back, and we'll see what happens. And, you know, most of the time when they give you feedback, um, it was pretty much spot on. Like one guy was like, oh, he's got to play certain songs to get the women on the dance floor more, which was right. It was maybe playing a little too, bit, too much hip hop and it worked. He was right. And so yeah, you just got to be open to it. Don't have that big of an ego and be able to listen. Oh, in either setting, being it DJing <laughs> or business, you have to have very thick skin, I would imagine. Yes, yes you do. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be ready to take that feedback even if it's really mean, take it in which in the most positive spirit, which is, okay, how can I take this information and improve from it? And you don't just live business every day in your work as an entrepreneur. You are also teaching it as well. You are yeah. a college professor who teaches entertainment money management at Cal State Fullerton. I love asking the money management experts this question because, you know, for the artists who do make some money, we want to make sure that they keep it and grow it. What would you say the biggest mistake that you see artists make when it comes to managing their money oh they think an advance is a gift they don't understand <laughs> that an advance is a loan advance is a loan you must pay that back you must recoup that very quickly um if you sign with a label and your album doesn't do well they're going to keep all of your earnings either from streaming mechanical royalties all that they're going to keep that until they recoup the advance and many people just don't understand that simple concept an advance is not a gift it is a loan and we kind of go through that and talk about different ways to recoup. We talk about publishing. 
mean, we kind of cover it all. It all changes. We talk about, you know, you talked about Taylor Swift earlier. I'm a Taylor Swift fan. You know, I love her music is really nice, but I'm even more of a fan of her because she's an advocate for the industry. She stood up to some of the biggest companies in the industry year after year. And I respect that. First, it was Spotify because Spotify didn't have any transparency in terms of how they would divide up their earnings. Now she's re-recording almost, I think, six of her albums because she didn't own the master, so she can't keep the money. People don't realize, many even new artists don't realize that when you are signing with a label, like you don't own your work. The label owns your work. And it's just so challenging for people to understand that concept. And um, so that's why I love Taylor Swift because she's outspoken about it. She's teaching us by doing, and I have much respect for her. You're after our own heart here, Amani. We, I feel like you've just like you know grabbed transcripts from prior episodes where we, where Zach and I have said much of the same thing. Like she, she is indeed a very successful, established label artist, but I feel like she's got the heart of an indie creator. And whenever there's an opportunity for her to cape up for that community, she always does it. And it, you know, even like when uh, when Apple Music first opened up. And they said they weren't going to pay artists uh, yeah. while they were doing this initial free trial period to get people to use the service. And she basically said, uh, the hell you're not going to pay them. Uh, <laughs> right. if you, you you can either pay them or you won't have my music on your platform. And that was enough to get Apple Music to yeah. get their act together. Yeah. You, you, know, you, you love that kind of stuff. I do. I mean, you know, she continues. It's not like she and she doesn't have to do this. She does not have to do this. And she just she speaks about it, too. That's important. I remember because my students do a project. We do several projects. One of the projects is they can either choose the music industry or they can choose the movie industry. And kind of we talk about some of the issues. Music industry. Some of the main issues are like incorrect metadata, um, the black box revenue and then artists not owning their masters. A good example we use this year is we have two artists like Wright said Fred and we have Kaylise. And they were upset because Beyonce used their music uh, or sampled some of their music or used some of the same harmonies that they had in her most recent album. So they took to Twitter trying to criticize her. But what they didn't realize, and I'm speaking like Kaylise is the first example, is that uh, Beyonce got the proper permission from the people who own the music, who were the Neptunes. Like Kaylise did not own her master, so she didn't really have a right to have an issue. Of course, Maybe it's nice for them to ask for permission or just share it with her. But she got the proper permission from the Neptunes. They had the track on the album. Kaylee made a stink. They took it off. She's missing exposure now. Um, so we talk about those issues. And I just think that I think we kind of I mentioned it before, like the knowledge gap. That's one of my passions is that the knowledge gap between artists and kind of the label or how the music industry works is just massive. So what can I do through teaching my students who are then be signing artists and they're already signing artists? to shrink that knowledge gap because if you know how it works, you can make better decisions because I'm pro artist. I'm not anti-label. I just want everyone to understand how the business works so that everyone can make better decisions. Do you have any advice for creators on how they can shrink that knowledge gap quickly? Uh, are there, are there resources that you swear by? Are there platforms that you go on or, or do we all just need to afford tuition at Cal State Fullerton to take your class? I'm glad you asked. Well, I'm creating like a program for that. That's what I'm working on. That's one of my goals for like the next six months. But I will say a couple things like, let me find. Um, oh. So I always keep this book. Um, like all you need to know about the music business, Donald Passman. Oh like, yeah. Like, Passman, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's the 10th edition, like get this book, read it front to back. Um, like you have to watch, you know, shows like this where you can hear artists and creators tell their stories and under and, and they talk about what they did. So kind of use podcasts and streams to, to learn. 
that that's like the, and then like attend events like i'm a member of ascap so you need to attend like ascap exo of course when it comes back post post um, pandemic or bmi or csac like attend those events attend the sessions talk to people because you'll learn and you'll network with other people that's the quick advice but um it's tough read like I've, i read a lot of music biographies recently i read um Oh, Nile Rogers' biography, Luther Vandross's biography, L.A. Reid. Um, read people's biographies. They'll tell you the mistakes they made and what they did to fix them. And you can learn because you're a lawyer, so you get it. Like the copyright laws that are attached to the music industry are 35, 40 years old that haven't really changed, which is asinine in my opinion. But if you read the law, at least you'll understand it and can ask the proper questions. Yeah. Um, I do recommend the, the Donald Passman book for sure. It was actually my very first book okay. that I read when I was in high school that got me into the music industry. Makes perfect sense that you show that one there. That being said, it would have been the coolest move ever if you reached back into your bookshelf there and you pulled out my book. That would have been that would have been <laughs> the only time. one that would have been cooler. Next time. Oh, no, I'll, buy it. I'll get it. Yes, Zach, get it. Get it. Get wait, it. wait, Zach's got me covered. Wait. <laughs> Zach's oh, going back I into the bookshelf. There it is. Oh, there we go. Oh, yes, I'll have to get that one. Okay, oh, wait, hang on I'll just a quick one. second. Okay, okay. If we'll you send if us your info, I'll totally send you one, and I'll oh, even make oh, Ryan yeah, sign it. I love it's it. so hot in here. <laughs> oh, I love it. Sweltering in this Miami yes. heat. But yeah. you know what? Other thank good goodness I have this thick copy of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence, and. Uh, achieving true success in the music industry to keep Amazing. me nice and cool and to keep me That's educated great. about the. Yes. But I'll tell you, yes. if you want to read another good book, uh, DJs mean business. Uh, uh, yes. Digging it, your story <laughs> in there about Bismarcky playing like oh. the Golden Girls theme at a club, mm -hmm. dude, that made me so happy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. May he rest in peace, my DJ mentor. That was an amazing. Like twenty minutes of like TV theme show songs, and that's when I decided I want to be a DJ. And it took me a while to have the courage to pursue it. I'm so glad I did. But I that's just an amazing, amazing story. So thank you for reading it. <laughs> oh well, I t well, that was where my mind went when you said using nostalgia, right? Because uh -huh. in that story you talk about, he's like, he knew what his crowd was. He knew his audience. He knew his consumer. And yeah. he tapped into that nostalgia with things like the Golden Girls theme. And I think he's yes. like mentioned the Dukes of Hazard theme oh, and yes. stuff like that. Dukes of Hazard, like what's happening? You know, thank you Has for being a friend. friend. Like that's the Golden Girls. And then he did, uh, oh, you take the good, you take the bad, and there you have the facts of life. See, the facts of life, he just did them all. It was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> um. We've done yeah. so many commercial medleys. <laughs> I, I did dueling pianos for many years, so it's like you get the audience in when yeah. you can play mm -hmm. video game theme songs for a yeah. while, and they're like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, Super Mario's in the star exactly. power now. And you're like, oh, my gosh, exactly. they got that. Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's fun. an amazing thing. I love it. I love it. It's, it's um, conducting your audience. Mm -hmm. You know, you not only know what it is, but it's, you know this is a DJ you're you're taking them on a journey mm -hmm. you know when Absolutely. you want them to go to a bar you know you don't you, you play something that gets them off of the dance floor for a while and when you see things are slowing down you keep them going for a while it's uh it's it's beautiful i i mentioned earlier you know wrangling drunk people takes so much more skill than people understand yeah, yeah. and those that are good at it blow my mind like i'm sure you're one of those where you know somebody walks up to you and they walk away happy even though you just blew them off yes, like it's it's a yes. beautiful skill it's so fun 
Yes, I agree. We're not playing that song, but I agree. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for your input. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, again, you can find out more about our guest work by visiting www.amaniexperience.com. We're excited uh, to have gotten your perspective on all this. I, I learned so much from you. You've been such a good sport just uh, hanging out with us and, and having a good time sure. like you have. Uh, appreciate that so much. Um, one last question before we let you go. Uh, do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Um, you know, kind of continue with the theme, like just make sure that education is your priority, uh, learning, ask questions, try to find communities that you can help. I think one of the biggest um, advantages that I experienced during the pandemic is just like I found Discord and I found different Discords. And within those different communities, you can ask lots of questions, you can learn, people share a lot of content. Um, so like, don't be afraid to join other artists discords that you might like or might be fans of and other you know colleagues discords and follow them on their communities um i always advise people to start your mailing list early and just send out regular notification whether it be once a week twice a month once a month i think as we've learned with like myspace as we're seeing today with twitter like you can never put all your eggs in one basket with social media platforms so keep the email list growing i think that's crucial education and just, if you love it, like just stick with it. You know, I have a story in the book that you read about how I went to Scratch Academy. I didn't pass the final class by two points and I could have taken my ball and going went home, but I stayed with it. And here I am today, almost 10 years later, just having, you know, my career is continuing to grow. Um, so that's kind of the message I would have, just education, email lists, join communities, be a good community member and collaborate with people and, and that'll get you far. I can't help but be so, motivated by your husband does my mic sound as bad as i think it does dude it's bad absolutely it yes <laughs> why don't you all close this out and i'll uh, just throw my dude. mic in the trash i have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation uh what you have said about streaming about business has been incredibly enlightening thank you so much for coming on the show man really you yeah. you have just been crushing it and it's been just fun for me to get to listen to listen to you talk so thank you yeah Awesome. Don't Thank you be a stranger. Me. Come back, please. I will. I'll follow you on Twitch. So, you know, get the Twitch going. I'm always on there kind of watching stuff. So, and join our questions? email list in case, you, you know, we I lose will. all of that. Absolutely. We're That's taking your advice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank Amazing. you so much, Imani. Don't be a stranger. Okay. Take care. Thank you. All right, Zach, that was a lot of fun. We would let Ryan come back, but we've decided to block him off for the rest of eternity. Yeah, you're going to have to close this out. I don't know what's wrong with my mic. <laughs> what happened? All right. Well, that's well you know, right. Amani just got done talking about how, you know, there's gonna something's going to go wrong. Of course. And so here's, my, here's our little sign-off. This is going way back to the old days of BTB. I have finally, finally, in tradition, as I am sitting in a seat that Metal Dave used to set in, I have finally started watching Star Wars. And I'm going to tell you, I watched, my wife and I are watching them in order of chronology. So we started with what is considered the worst Star Wars movie. Um, was that The Phantom Menace, I think? is uh, Not The Phantom Menace. Whatever the first one was. You're going episode one, two, three, yes. not the, the first, yeah. second, and third that came out. Because uh -huh. okay. I, want, I want that taste. I'm going to say this right now. Even the one that fans told me is terrible was pretty cool. Well, that's because you didn't have the other one to compare it to yet. Well, see, and that was my thought process. <laughs> I start Just like in my marriage, I start with by setting the bar low, and then I can't help but go up. Uh, yeah, but she's pretty high up there, so you better. 
Okay, can you, you all hear lucky. me okay no. now? Yay, Ryan's okay. back just in time to say goodbye. <laughs> I know, I missed the Star Wars conversation. <laughs> I'm so mad. <laughs> and our I'll thanks, never bring it up again. No, our thanks to Amani Roberts. Thanks to you, Zach Sloan. No thanks to the people that made this uh, microphone uh, input mixer that I have. Uh, but thanks to all of you, viewers and listeners, for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.